everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 31 of the show, where we are concluding our coverage of Marvel's biggest month so far. This is July of 1963. We've seen annuals, we've seen X-Men, we've seen Avengers, and now we're going to see Plant Man. <laughs> yes, Plant Man number one was released on... No. Um, <laughs> Plant Man. Um, Little known Marvel superhero, Plant Man. Uh, but, you know, there are still Marvel comics that I come across. And I'm like, I did not know that existed. Like so, this one? Not, not this one, just like series titles. Oh, So if yeah. someone were to come to me and say in 1998, Plant Man 1 through 3 existed, I would not be surprised. <laughs> Some sort of like spotlight on his villainy for three issues, like a limited series or something? Right. Something like that. That'd be I interesting. Mean, the guy has an origin story. And it's 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 actually kind of character based and tied up with the whole Johnny Storm relationship that we're going to also talk about this issue. But I think before we get into it, it's important to point out that this is the second of two stories written by Superman co-creator Jerry Siegel. Right. So he wrote last issue also. Right. And he wrote this one and he just did these two issues of Strange Tales in the middle of a bunch of DC stuff. So the last one he wrote was The Living Bomb. Yeah, The Eel. Which... Which I kind of think was a bomb, maybe. I can't remember if we liked that one or not, but I it can hardly middling. remember. It, had, it, had, it, was all it right. had good parts, but it, was, it had some problems. I think this, I think one's, this better. one's better. Of the t- yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. So you want to get into it? Yeah. Whose job is that? Me. Oh. Yay! Because you did, uh, <laughs> once again, Amazing Spider Man. You ended our last episode with Amazing Spider Man. So this has taken us three episodes to get through this month. Yeah. Yeah. And Nine. I think we talked off. off off mic that I like just looked up an arbitrary uh, month way down the line and like in the seventies and it would take us maybe like 25 episodes to get through it. <laughs> if we did, <laughs> if we did our three, you know, books uh, on average an episode kind mm-hmm. of thing. So yeah, it's starting to happen guys. It's feeling like the universe is expanding and we're, we're going to start slowing down a little bit, but yep, yep. that just means more cool stories. So more cool stories. And you know, we're not in a hurry. No. Because if we were in a hurry, we'd be doing this very differently. Yeah, I would just say this episode, this this issue introduces Plant Man. He's kind of okay. Anyway, next. Right. Uh, but we're not going to do forget, that. There's one other character this book introduces, which we will talk about shortly. Yeah, right now. So, Strange Tales, number 113. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you when we started Strange Tales, what number we were on when we started Strange I, Tales. 101 was the first issue of okay. Strange Tales, so we were starting the second year of Strange Tales. So we were, we're 12 issues in then, yeah? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Awesome. This is a, um, and this is July 9th, which is the second week of release for July. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 5 from last episode was also July 9th, and all of the episode, all of the issues for this episode will be July 9th. You know, we've talked about how we, we're like drinking the Human Torch Kool-Aid, and they're not as bad as we remember, or we thought they'd be, but... The fact that you just said there's only been 12, I really feel like we've read a whole lot more. So that is kind of weird. But (laughs) okay. The Coming of the Plant Man. 13 pages by Stan Lee, art by Dick Ayers, and also apparently ghostwritten by uh, uh, Jerry Siegel. Yeah, Lee did the plot and Siegel did the script. Yeah, but they don't like um, credit that on Mike's Amazing at all. But that's interesting. Okay. Mike's Marvel credits are not always as thorough. Yeah. And, but yeah, just look at the comic on the front page. It has a yeah, has yeah. there. Okay. So it starts out with Johnny having a new girlfriend. And this girlfriend is so important that they actually decided to name her. I think 
they haven't really named anybody before, maybe first name or whatever. Her name is Dora Evans, and he's so into her that he's forgotten all about the date and he's late. So he thinks, you know what? Instead of just going over there like a normal person, I'm going to become the human torch and fly over there. And she's going to be so impressed because I have a god god complex and everybody loves me, as we've established in this series. So he flies down, and he goes to pick her up at her dad's... um, um, what do you call those, like, plant places, plant stores? Uh, I think they have a name, but it's escaping me. Anyway, he sells um, plants. Yeah. I feel like they should, like, a bo- not a boutique. Anyway. A greenhouse? I don't know, he, something. He, he sells plants. Someone can write that in. Um, so he goes flying in there, and she's actually mortified that, like, her date came in all showboating and hot, and pretty much everybody could see what he was doing because, of course, he's flying in as the human torch. And she, like, pretty much chastises him. And throughout this whole issue, I'll just sum it up right now, that she doesn't like the fact that, like, she likes him for Johnny, but isn't so hot on him being, uh, hey, punny, isn't so hot on him being uh, the human torch, which he just finds baffling because it's like, well, that's all I am. So I don't really understand. And I kind of agree with him because that is kind of all he is. But anyway, she doesn't like it. Just to make drama, I guess. Anyway, while they're there, her dad is firing somebody. And I don't remember his name. He's going to become the plant man. Um, but he's getting fired because he has like this device that he's been fiddling with. He's like a part-time scientist, part-time plant lover or hater maybe. And uh, he's convinced that plants have smarts that we don't understand or something. And this device is supposed to like unlock them or let us communicate with them. And of course, what he should be doing, because what he should be, what he's getting paid for is to water the plants to take care of them, not fiddle with his device. So I've told you for the last time, future plant man, you're fired. And he goes home all mad. And Johnny's like, well, none of my business, but it will be. So he goes home and he's mad and he's fiddling with his device and there's like a rainstorm and the lightning strikes him while he's holding the device while the device is shooting at a plant and then he finds that magically the device um or possibly him or both or the combination of the two like suddenly allow him to control plants so if he tells a plant to like you know it tells a tree to uproot itself and fall over it will or if he tells roots to grab somebody they will or whatever like they they're like his slaves and he's very happy about that um and he's also very mad at, at uh, uh, Doris's dad for firing him. So the first thing he does is he goes to a bank and he robs, a, you know, some jewels. And then he plants like Doris, Doris's uh, dad's watch there to like frame him, which of course works. So all the police are over there and like Doris is devastated and her dad is devastated. And Johnny comes over and she's like, oh, Johnny, I know I don't like you being a superhero, but could you be a superhero? And he's like, yeah, sure, babe. And so he goes to fly over to that jewelry store to check it out. And guess who's there but the plant man? He was waiting for him. Like, he kind of just expected that he'd show up. And he pretty much beats him up by having, like, the plant shoot water at him. And then the roots grab him. And he pretty much, like, spanks the human torch and then skips away. And that doesn't make the torch happy. Next, we see the plant man going to Central Park, where he takes it over easily uh, everybody runs away scared. He like slaps some guards around with the trees and stuff. And then he's like thinking to himself, first the park, then the city, then the you know world, because the whole world is full of plants and they outnumber people. So I can totally destroy everybody. But the human torch shows up again and they get into a fight. Um, and it's one of those back and forth fights. But ultimately, I think the human torch beats him by creating like his own personal hot ball of sun like overhead. 
And then that kind of dehydrates the plants, which makes them mm -hmm. upset, which makes them turn on their master. So they all start beating on Plant Man. And he kind of like gets away in the shuffle and hides in a tree. And wait, I don't remember if like his device gets broken during all that or something like that. But yeah, exactly. Whenever the plants turn on him, they, they uh, wrench his device out of his hands and snap it up. Okay, yeah. So they destroy his device, and he, he gets away, and, you know, Johnny can't find him. He's, like, sitting in a hole in the tree, like, right behind him, essentially. It's kind of an amusing panel. But anyway, and then Johnny, like, goes back and says, hey, I took care of your dad. And, you know, he's thinking to himself, now she'll like that I'm the human torch. And he's like, great, Johnny, you're the best. I really like you. I just wish you'd stop flaming on all the time. And he's like, oh. And that's the end. All right. Yeah. So um, should we talk about Plant Man or Dory first? Because they're the two big parts of this issue. Well, I assume Plant Man comes back because I feel like I've heard of him before. Yeah, and he doesn't keep this look. I think he loses it next time he gets more of a traditional costume kind of thing. Oh, but. his look is kind of cool, though. I forgot to kind of describe that. Like, he's wearing a green – like, when he actually dresses up, which is later in the issue, he's wearing, like, a green fedora with a green trench coat and kind of like a green uh, handkerchief over his face, like a you know old-school robber. He kind of reminded me of the Green Hornet a little bit. Yeah, the, the, the fedora is wide brim, so it has this like shadow over his head. And the mm -hmm. handkerchief is, you get the impression that it's covering his entire face, which I like. Mm -hmm. But in one panel, you can see that it's not covering his eyes, which I didn't find nearly as effective. But the idea of a guy who's in green, like has this green stalk coming out of the collar of the green jacket mm -hmm. with a green hat on it, I just thought was like old school kooky, you know? Yeah, it looked neat. Yeah, I like. Yeah, I agree with you. I like it better when he... When you can't see his eyes. So a lot of times they were depicting him with like the the hat shadow covering that part. Right. I feel like he would look good at a, a black and white serial or, or against Batman or something. He needs some noir. He needs some shadows. Yeah. Well, maybe he looks like the shadow. Maybe that's what we're thinking of. Maybe. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, actually, yeah. He, okay. Yeah. Paint the shadow green. And he looks very much like the shadow. Yeah. Um, so I guess needing the shadows to look cool is not a great concept for a plant man. But um, but yeah. Um, but do you know of any, uh, I mean, I, I think I've just heard of the name, but I can't think of any particular stories where I've read plant man, um, but yeah, he must come I back. I know he's used a couple times in the silver age. I know he's used, um, count Nefaria or Nefaria, however mm -hmm. you say that mm -hmm. gets together several villains up against the X-Men around X-Men 23. Okay. And he's in that batch. Um, I usually have, um, the complete Marvel reading order open when we're recording. So I'll, I'll look him up and see when his next few appearances are but um but yeah i do I, he is going to change his costume always. he's got um or is that the super adaptoid i'm picturing like like uh teardrops you know on, angled teardrops over his eyes um, i'm just gonna do a quick google and see if they show a better picture of him yeah oh he has he does fo fully cover his face eventually and he's got like the hawkeye mask kind of look yeah that's what i was trying to describe yeah with the like with the like the extend out beyond his face sort of and he's got like a little short cape and his he puts gloves and boots on that have little frill plant looking frills on them leafy frills right but that mask is almost identical to what the super adaptoid is going to get because super adaptoid uh, emulates hockey's mask oh yeah yeah that's true yeah and he's still holding a gun see i was going to guess that maybe the power is within him because he was holding it when the lightning struck and they just destroyed it and he said something like i'll try and recreate it but i thought well how can you recreate it if like lightning accidentally created it but i guess he figures it out yeah, so he's not used a lot, but he does keep popping up pretty consistently, at least through the 80s is how far I looked. We're going to see him again in Strange Tales and then way down the road if we ever get there in that X-Men 22 and 23 story. Um, 
And if we're still podcasting, and I get to the 1968 comics, he's in a couple of Submariner issues. And I have to hope, but I'm honestly not sure that he beats or that Poison Ivy beat him as a character. <gasps> she does not. Wow. She came out in 66. Oh, okay. So she's just a copy of Plant Man. Ah, strange shells infects everything. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, his origin story is tied directly to Doris Evans and her father. Mm-hmm. So there's a motivation to this story, but I'm willing to bet that he probably completely abandons that motivation in future appearances. He's probably just like wanting money and to commit crimes and stuff. Yeah, especially since she probably doesn't last very long, does she? Oh, Dory Evans. Yes, she is the Torch's girlfriend for a long time. Really? Yeah. Um, I think through the end of the Strange Tales run, and then she gets a few mentions. There's a small gap of time between the end of Strange Tales and the coming of the Inhumans. And she gets a couple of mentions in there. But um, she doesn't wow. show up anymore after that, except for like one-offs. So Stan has, has figured out that, you know, romantic tension is good for superheroes, I think, because he's got Reed and Sue hooking up officially again. He's got, not that they're being all that tense but maybe they will be someday he's got alicia and the thing also not tense although there is some drama around their relationship sometimes he's got peter and betty kind of interested circling Mm -hmm. um and and he's i know you know spoilers i know there's going to be more dawn and uh uh betty troubles with thor like or odin in the in between the two of them keeping them apart kind of thing yeah that comes next month dawn and jane and now we're getting Human Torch actually having an official girlfriend instead of just like, you know, it seemed like every issue he'd have a different girl in his car. Yeah. It's like we would see occasional smooches with the girl, but also there would be parts where he was complaining that his hormones hadn't kicked in yet. And like mushy stuff was offensive or whatever. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. But yeah. Um, what it, did you think about her? Because I, I, I have some opinions that might go uh, be a little bit different than what it sounded like you were thinking. But go ahead with what you were thinking about her. Well, I like her and I like that she's not impressed at all by his hotshot stuff. Uh-huh. But then, like I kind of alluded to, my only question then would be, well, what does she find attractive about him? Because that is his entire personality right now, it seems right. like. So does she just have a sixth sense that there's something more to him? Because she's not impressed by him being a superhero or famous or having powers. So what the heck does she like about him? So here's how I read it. And I don't know if this is going to be consistent with future appearances, but just this issue. Here's how I read it. Um the Torch really gets off on being a showboat mm-hmm. and a star. And mm-hmm. he gets loved by the masses. We've seen that throughout Strange Tales. But here's a woman who actually finds that Johnny Storm, you know, the boy, attractive, apart from what he does as a Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. So the way I read this issue is she respects that he's a superhero as part of the superhero team. Mm-hmm. But she wants him to leave work at work and be a regular person with her. Right. So sh- you think it's just a complete physical attraction then? Because he has no personality outside of work. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I think she just doesn't. She doesn't yeah. What, what personality he has, we never see because we always see him as part of Fantastic Four. But, you know, she seems to be a bit more proper and a bit more prim. Mm-hmm. Um, for whatever reason, she's attracted to him. She just doesn't want him showing off because she doesn't like showing off. Yeah, and I think that's fine, and I think it's a good setup for future uh, drama because we all know he loves to show off. Uh huh. I mean, so she does get a little bit insulting. Um, there's one part on page three, the second panel, when they're taking a bus uh, oh. because uh-huh. she, she's like, 
Isn't it pleasantly relaxing to ride slowly and safely? Isn't this better than speeding through the sky like a fiery nitwit? I think she just doesn't get why he would go around being the torch when he doesn't have to be the torch. And by the way, conversely, what does she see in him then if she's not going to worship him the way he wants? So he even says in that panel you just said, uh, if this slowpoke wasn't so gosh darn pretty. Yeah, I think... Like, for him, it's a physical attraction too, I guess, It's a physical attraction. So her appeal to him is probably at a, re- a rather base level. Uh-huh. Um, which is you know, fine, because he's a, he's a teenage boy. He's a teenage guy. That's that's kind of, you know, you have to grow past that. But, um, but yeah. It might be for both of them. I don't know. I don't know. Or, or maybe she just likes keeping her uh, suitors, like, knocked down a peg. That's always possible, too. Like, maybe, yeah. she's, maybe she's smart enough to know that if she starts giving him the, God, the kind of God worship that he wants, that it just will be never-ending. So, it's better to... Nip him in the bud now. I'll be honest, though. The, our next issue notwithstanding, I I did like Dory's first appearance. I liked Dory as a character more than I liked Pepper Potts's first appearance, portraying her as a oh. character. Well, she was just horrible. Wasn't she? And next issue, she's not a whole lot better that I can think of, but we'll get to it. But Yeah, she doesn't get a whole lot to do in the issue we're going to cover this episode, but yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I mean, she just flat out completely and horribly insulted someone she's never met before. I mean, that's just... Right. Because like at least at least is her name Dory? I keep calling her that. Doris. Dory, uh, yeah, Do- Dory or Doris is I. At least Doris like seems to like Johnny. Yeah. Just doesn't want to um, be picked up by a flaming superhero, and I guess we could all understand that. You know, just pick me up in your car next time. I'm curious to see if he, she continues to be written that way. Mm-hmm. Right. It just seems like you know, obviously, just a, a way to create drama. Yeah, you got, you got the hot you got the hot shot who's dating someone who doesn't appreciate hot shots. So there were just a couple other tiny parts in this issue that caught my eye. On page ten, mm-hmm. um, Plant Man says, "Plants outnumber people by the billions, uh-huh. and I rule the plants. Today, Earth; tomorrow, the stars." And I'm just like, really? Because plants don't do too well in space, <laughs> and. And really, we're going to, the, you want to conquer space now? Because you were a gardener five minutes ago. I wonder if that's just like a uh, an expression or something. But in his hometown, that was just like. Well, maybe in the 60s or something, you're, you're, you're going after <laughs> the stars, meaning everything. I don't know. but uh, it, it could be. He could just want some chicken fried steak. I don't know. But I was wondering, like, how far can he control these plants? Because whether there's billions of us or not, if he has to be in the proximity of them, then he's not going to get very far in this whole world domination thing. That's true. Like even Poison Ivy, I think, has some limits to her range. Yeah. She, he can't and sit there in an apartment in, like, in New York and have California be under siege by trees or something. But he, He's got basically a pair of garden shears with a computer strapped to the uh, head. So <laughs> right. That's, that's about all he's got. Uh, um, and... Whenever he uh, just before a torch beats him, like the last move he makes against the torch is to rain acorns down on torch uh-huh. and fruit and and it, it's apples, but and apples are kind of soft, but you know throwing at your head they're gonna hurt. And so I can actually I was like actually kind of feeling for Johnny there as he was getting pummeled by nuts and fruit from that um, tree. Yeah, I was like, oh wow, that 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 hurts. Stop that. <laughs> You know, one thing, one element that's missing from him that, you know, 1966 Poison Ivy will have is she actually seems to care about the slaves that she's using. 
essentially. Yes. Like it's more of a give and take situation. Whereas he is like this guy who's convinced that plants are intelligent, but then seems to have no problem with just being really excited about how they're at all his slaves now. And he can have them do whatever he wants, whether they want to or not. Like even are to saying- even uproot themselves to like kill themselves to, to knock the torch over, you know? Are you saying he's being a white dude about all this? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying he doesn't necessarily seem to appreciate that, which he has been studying presumably his whole life or at least for a right, long he's time. He's just going to exploit it. Yeah. So this issue gave us, uh, we got a Superman writer. We got a new villain. We got a new love interest, but you know what this book was missing? What's that? The fantastic four. <gasps> I did not notice that. Wow. I think, this is, I think this is our 13th issue. We're starting our second year of this book. And I think this is the first time that none of the FF has shown up. It's absolutely the first time. Yeah. Wow. That's great, though. They don't They don't need to show up in every book. No, they really don't. It's fine. Um, another year down the road, this is going to become a Torch thing team up book. And he's going to be with Torch every issue. But I would like to see him do more solo stuff with zero Fantastic Four before that happens. Mm-hmm. Well, it looks like we're um, getting that, maybe. So Dory's going to come back next time. And you know who else comes back next issue? Um, her dad? Doctor Strange. Oh. Wow. Good thing it wasn't this issue, because once again, I forgot to scroll on through and see if there was a Doctor Strange story in the back. I will try to remember to remind you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to totally forget and then be like, oh, yeah, I read that issue. In fact, I'm just going to go down to Strange Tales 114 right now and put in my notes, remind Mike. <laughs> yeah, I'll totally forget. Uh, all in all, not a bad Torch story, though, I thought. Yeah, I didn't think it was bad at all. I think I thought it was actually, I mean, as, as far as Torch stories go, it's probably one of the better ones. And we're getting some villainy now. I mean, not that Plant Man is going to be a huge villain, but, you know, at least it's not one-offs anymore, seems like. Yeah. Like the painter. Uh, Oh, he's not a one-off. I forgot. He gets his own dedicated title for six years or something. <laughs> I hope not. I hope, hope after that one appearance in the, in the, the Web of Spider-Man issue, he's, he's gone. Um, as we're recording this, the painter episode just dropped today. So we uh, both heard that and been reminded about the painter. Which is funny because I think I was just saying the other a few episodes ago that definitely Thor and the Replicator guy was the worst story we've ever read. But uh, – yeah, I forgot about the painter. That's pretty much up there, too. Right. Well, should we go on to Fantastic Four 19? Yeah. All right. So um, this issue is exciting uh-huh. because it is going to introduce a huge time travel character. Doctor Who. the history of the Marvel Universe. Doctor Who? No, no, no. Um, this is the issue bringing in Rama Tut, the Pharaoh from the future. Um and we're going to, I mean, this is a character that we find out over the years. He's a descendant of both Reed Richards and Victor Von Doom. He goes through many guises. He's King the Conqueror. He's the Scarlet Centurion. He's Immortus. And there was even a time when a young him was Iron Lad, uh, emulating Iron Man. So he's, he's, he's a complex character. And this is his first appearance. I'm pretty excited. So this is as simple as he'll be, people. Right. Enjoy this it. Right here. <laughs> Okay, um, so Rama Tut is the pharaoh from the future. And we open the story, if I remember, um, Ben and Alicia are taking a walk in the park. And the Fantastic Four need Ben for some reason. So they got the Fantastic Car and they're flying. They find him. And um, uh, Ben's not too happy at his date being interrupted. But, you know, he goes along with them and he's like, you got to come back to headquarters right now. It's super important. And they're like, what's the wall fired important, Reed? And Reed's like, I think 
that Egypt might have known how to cure blind people. Really? Yeah, because I was at the Egypt exhibit at the New York Museum, the Museum of Natural History, and I saw um, this picture of hieroglyphs and Egyptian like character storytelling art stuff. And I think that these two pharaohs with a little squiggle between them meant blindness cure. And so we're going to go find that. So um, it's a little bit more complex than that. He thinks that they had some sort of herb that cured blindness. So they're hoping to go see that. Um, Reed is, uh, uh, Ben rather, is super, super excited. But he's like, how are we going to go back in time to Egypt? And Reed's like, aha, continuity, kids. Remember back in issue number five, when Dr. Doom sent you back in time and made all readers think that you were Blackbeard the pirate whenever there's no historical way you could be the Blackbeard the pirate? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, we're going to go grab that floor rectangle thing and send us back in time. That's the cover and, of the manual. Right. Bring your blind girlfriend around because she's got to run the controls. <laughs> well, it's, it's up and down. So, you know, it's not that hard. Right, right, right. So it's just, okay, Alicia, feel this button right here. <laughs> Push that. Hold on. Let me get on the square first. Okay, now. So um, they go back in time and they're like, oh, wow. It's all sandy in their pyramids. How are we in the right time? Do we know if we're in the right time? And Reed's like, yeah. See that sphinx? There's no erosion on it yet. It's nice and smooth. We must be in the right time. Right. I mean, because that's how accurate he can be about <laughs> these things. Um, okay. So they're in Egypt. And of course, there are Egyptian warriors who see them. And they're like, oh, we must fight you and defeat you. So they fight in uh, the Fantastic Four. Um, and eventually, all the Fantastic Four's powers start going out torch loses its flame thing loses its strength reed loses its stretchy uh, sue loses her invisibility and um, they all actually collapse on the ground and pass out when they wake up they are sitting in the a throne room in front of a man who calls himself rama tut uh king of kings master of men and lord of the seven sons if i can remember the fantastic cast trailer correctly um and they're like wow He's speaking English, despite the fact that every single person in every single planet, time, or other culture we've ever visited also spoke English. <laughs> this guy must be from the 20th century or something, but he has, so he, he's going to be from the future. How did the future dude come back and become Pharaoh of Egypt? And Ramatut's like, I am a time traveler. I lived in the year 3000 and the Legion of Superheroes had made things so peaceful that life was boring. So um, I got this giant Sphinx, hooked up a time machine inside it, and Sphinxed my way back to Egypt, where I could take over the world and basically be cool. Um, and when I uh, landed, my Sphinx crashed, the time machine doesn't work, and the explosion blinded me so I couldn't see, but then they cured my blindness and everything was cool. They made me their king. And um, yeah, that was pretty great. But you know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to enslave all of you, except Susan. She's hot. So, Susan, you can be my queen, but the rest of you, I got to go, like, you know, work in the mines and stuff. So, um, they go and they work in the mines and uh, not really the mines, but they go and do stuff. Um, but the thing, he has to go row a boat. And while he's out there rowing the boat and sweating, I don't know if he can sweat with his rock skin, but he's, you know, he's getting overheated. Uh, he's heat exhaustion. And you know, every time the thing gets heat exhaustion, you know what happens, right? 
Um, he, he drinks water? Yeah, you would think so, but no, he turns back to Ben. Oh. Um, now, there's a little bit of hypnotism going on right now. They're not just, like, willingly submitting. Um, and, and Susan is not willingly submitting to being his queen. Everyone's, like, hypnotized or enslaved mentally or whatever. But whenever the thing turns back to Ben, since obviously he has a completely different mind, right? Yeah. I mean... I mean, it's 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 like Bruce Banner and the Hulk. I mean, they don't they're not even aware of each other. No, it's not like that at all. Except for today, it is because whenever the thing turns back to Ben, he's like, "Oh, not hypnotized anymore. That's pretty cool. Gonna beat up the guards and um, go save the day." So he beats up the guards and he goes and saves the day. Um, back at um, Ramatut's palace, they're getting ready for the wedding. Um, Torch is being a jester in the court. Um, Ben Grimm sneaks in behind Ramatut's throne. And just as he's starting to turn back into the thing and lose control of himself again, he grabs the um, hypnotism gun and shoots Johnny with it. Because evidently this is a binary switch. You get blasted, you're hypnotized. You get blasted again, you're unhypnotized. It's a really simple process. You don't even have to reverse the polarity of the neutron flow. You just shoot somebody twice. So um, now Johnny's free and um, somehow Susan gets free and they free Reed and they fight Rama Tut. Um, and I'm trying to remember how they get back to the present day. Oh, um, with the same way they got in there. but Yeah, they fight Rama Tut and they find out that the Sphinx was not the time machine. Right. The Sphinx has a smaller ship inside it. Mm-hmm. And that's the time machine. And they try to break it, but it doesn't work. Rama Tut actually gets away. and uh, But they did find the blindness cure. They found a vial... That in English says blindness cure or something on it. Optic nerve restorative. 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 (laughs) And it worked because the herbs were radioactive somehow in ancient Egypt. Uh, Um, And so it's not what happens is that the um, the time machine effect takes them away. And Sue is holding the blindness cure when they go. But they get there and they realize she's no longer hiding it. And Reed's like, oh. That's because Time Machine won't transport anything radioactive. Sorry. Um, just making that up, but that's the explanation we're going to go with. Sorry, Ben. No blindness cure. Sorry, Alicia. No blindness cure. And they're like, oh, too bad. Okay, we're done. That's the end of the story. Do you remember? I don't know what issue number it was. The thing's carrying a piano and Reed stupidly goes up and says, here, drink this while you're holding this really heavy piano. I and remember then, that. I don't and then he's the like, whenever. what is it? He's like, oh, I'm trying to cure you again. And he's like, uh, I'm holding a piano. And he gets cured and he drops the piano. Yeah. And then he's like, by the way, Reed, you don't have to keep trying to cure me because Alicia loves me for who I am, which makes me feel good about myself. So I don't even care that I'm the thing anymore. In fact, I'm kind of happy about it because I can lift pianos. Right? Yes. And, and we haven't had him try and cure him since. Conversely... Hey, we could cure Alicia's blindness. Then thing is like, yes, finally. I hate that fault about her. It's the worst. And everybody else is like, yeah, horrible people being blind. And Alicia says nothing the entire issue about whether she really cares if they cure her blindness or not. I mean, I would imagine that any person who's blind would like the idea of getting their sight back unless they're Matt Murdock and they have hangups about that sort of thing. Um, maybe I'm wrong. But I just I feel like that like if that opportunity were there, that would be a good thing. Uh, I did look up when Ben asked them to start focusing on Alicia's blindness. That was three issues ago. Mm-hmm. I did not remember that it was the same scene as the piano scene. Um, oh, I don't know if it but, was either. But, uh, but yeah. So that was three but did, issues did she back, say anything then? 
I don't know. Like if it's if it's a you know, life, if it's a lifelong blindness. So you have a valid point. Her she has no agency in this story. Right. And it's about her. And they all just assume. Yeah. They all just assume we're going to do all these things and all this action adventure for her. And the only thing she ever says is please don't be hurt on my behalf. Right. And I don't know like I don't know why she's blind if it's a recent thing or a thing that happened as she got well, that older was, or if it That was my note is that like blindness is a symptom of a, another condition. There is a condition that is causing you to not be able to see. Mm-hmm. And there is a variety and plethora of conditions that can cause your eyes to not function. Right. Blindness isn't just a thing that you can fix. <laughs> so if someone was blind from birth, isn't it possible that maybe they don't want to be different? change they're used to what they have they're i don't know um, i could be totally wrong all these blind people are going to write in now and tell me how crazy i am I, but that's just what i thought when i read this like is anybody going to ask alicia what she wants i think it's very important to ask alicia what she wants i would expect she would probably say yes but like she would like to be able to see but only in the way that like i mean you don't want to get somebody's false hopes mm-hmm. up and and she's certainly accepted it so her comment about don't get hurt on account of me is like that's understandable because she's Mm -hmm. not expecting to get her sight back so please don't go and do some you know herculean efforts on my behalf i'm used to living this way yeah but um i don't know and then the thing in the end is so upset about failing and then invisible girl's like alicia you should go over there and hug him because he failed to fix his girlfriend's problem (laughs) yeah but she's the girlfriend so why should why isn't she more upset you know, except she's not upset at all. She's like happy that they're all okay. I don't know. Well, I, I you know, Susan's con- so the way Susan phrases it, she says, "Comfort Ben." At this time, I suspect he needs it more than you. Um, Which it almost you know. it almost feels like she's acknowledging that Alicia's used to living this way. Uh huh. It's a weird way to phrase the sentiment, but I think there is. Yeah, I don't know. Well, you know, because we all know that Ben has the biggest feels, so. Right. When he's happy, he's, he's really happy. On the outside. Yeah. When he's sad, he's really sad. I think he's probably like suffering from bipolar or, or like, you know, depression issues or something. He very well I think could it's like, be. I think it's like Dr. McCoy. I think Spock one time told Dr. McCoy that your passions are going to be the death of you. Yeah. But you know what? You're, you know, what's interesting is like he had the biggest and worst transformation that he can't change back and forth. And when we first started this book, he was very angry and now he's kind of mellowed and stuff, but he still gets very hot headed and very passionate. So maybe he is. In need of some sort of therapy, but you know it's 1963, so they don't do that. His favorite therapy is punching things. Yeah, um, I did like like the early stuff with Ben and Alicia in this issue. Like mm-hmm. their romance is well established by this point, mm-hmm. um, and Ben does get really exciting at the idea of being able to fix Alicia's sight. Yeah, um, which I think you know we've already mentioned that, that there's no agency given to Alicia in the story. And that's bad, but I think it is neat for. Ben and his, you know, love for her. Yeah, I guess the pessimist in me was like, is he just trying to fix his girlfriend because she has this issue? But then I'm starting to think now that you just said that, that maybe that is a self-sacrifice on some level for him, because if she can see, will she even like him anymore? You know, that's a, of course we know Alicia will, but Ben would probably wonder if she would like him anymore because he's insecure about his looks and stuff. Yeah. So he's he's sacrificing what could possibly wreck their relationship for her happiness. That's kind of cool. They've addressed that in the past, but I don't think that it's going to stay addressed. I think it's going to come up again. Mm -hmm. He's going to, again, become uncertain of what she really wants, especially whenever, like, the Silver Surfer comes around and he thinks she has a crush on him and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, what is – 
I would ask what your history is with Rama Tut, but I don't think there are a lot of just Rama Tut stories. I have read, I think he's, well, like you said, he's like 15 different characters. So it's kind of hard to say. I think the biggest thing for me was Avengers forever, mm-hmm. which was like a six issue miniseries by Kurt Busiek, where he tried to restore continuity to things that were confusing. And a lot of that involved Kang. And okay. Oh, maybe that's was Rama Tut in that, or am I thinking of somebody else? We might have gotten. I'm thinking of Amortis. Darn it! So I don't even know Rama Tut. Amortis and Kang are supposed to be the same character too. So that's what I was thinking of. Uh, Rama Tut. Yeah, Yeah. I got nothing. Maybe Iron Lad. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Rama Tut is going to become this footnote to Kang's history. Like I was once the Sparrow from the future, and that turned into Kang, and now it's Kang, 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 Kang. But this is like um, you know between DC uh, with Flash. And then, like, um, you know, Reverse Flash and stuff. And then Marvel with the Thor story we read. And then this story. And Star Trek in general. The 1960s were incredibly scared of becoming, like, complacent and non-motivated or something. Mm -hmm. Because that's, like, this story again with this guy. It's like he lives in this perfect, peaceful future. And it drives him mad because there's no drama, I guess. Yeah. Well, that goes to a question that gets often addressed. And we don't have to go into the argument. But the... uh they discuss it on mission log mm-hmm. is like, cause one of the hosts, the hosts on, are, are in disagreement on this philosophical point of do humans actually want to achieve happiness or is, or is it like Kirk thinks it's like, is it the struggle? Is it the struggle that makes it worthwhile or is being happy? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and and th- there's a lot of discussion of that on that, on that show. Um, so, they reuse Dr. Doom's time machine in this. And I, I went to go back and make sure because Lee is so, and, and Kirby are so fond of having bad guys blow up their bases, especially with Dr. Doom. Yeah. So I did want to make sure that we hadn't seen him blow this one up, but he didn't. I went back to Fantastic Four Five. Uh, the torch surrounds the castle with fire and Doom escapes the castle with a jetpack. Okay. Um, I remember that. So, Yeah. Which makes, you know, there's a comment that Sue makes on page five of the story. She says, lucky for us that Dr. Doom made almost everything fireproof to protect himself against you, Johnny. He's like, well, if the entire castle was fireproof, then surrounding it in flame would have actually been a threat. But he, they were coming for him anyway, so maybe he'd escape regardless. Yeah, that's but, true. Uh, I like that they use this because like, they could have just as easily had Reed like, oh, I have this time machine in my closet and we would have been fine with that too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's neat that that uh, not only continuity, which is nice, but that Reed um, relied on Doom's intelligence to uh, accomplish a mission. And now that we've used it a second time, it's going to get used a lot more. Like Dr. Doom's time machine platform, that's a thing in the Marvel Universe now. Well, you got to imagine once Reed sees it and sees how it operates that like, why would he invent a different version? That one works. Right. That one works. What I'm also surprised by is that Reed evidently, and I could be wrong here, but Reed never like claims this and takes it home. Like it's always Doctor Doom's time machine. We've got to go to Doctor Doom's land to get Doctor Doom's time machine. Well, at least in the like two stories that I've read about this time machine. Well, that's cool of him because he didn't invent it, so at least he gives credit. Yeah. Um, let's see. The idea that they were in the right century or in the, the right era because the Sphinx was not eroded. One, that gets undercut later in the series because the Sphinx is actually uh, artificial and from the future. It's not like an Egyptian-built Sphinx. But oh. also, like, okay, they wanted it to be in the right time frame, and so the Sphinx is not eroded. Okay, so that puts them in the right century. doesn't really put them in the right 
like reign of a king. Okay. I just thought it was kind of funny. Well, let's just say that Reed assumes that the device works. And so when the thing is asking, he's just like, yeah, yeah, thing. Look, see, see. And things just like, oh, that that sounds good, Egghead. Okay, I'll stop asking and be annoying. Because Reed is once again making up crap and getting them to believe it. Yeah. Now, as far as the Sphinx, you said not being the real Sphinx. Don't they try and imply that this is the real Sphinx? I thought that the... um, Because he blows up all the mechanic. They make a point of him blowing up all the mechanical stuff in the end. But the Sphinx is still there. It's not like the Sphinx blows up. He blew up all his equipment. Every trace of his very existence... But the Sphinx is still present. So it's like, because nobody can figure out how they built that in 1963. Maybe it's even still. I don't know. I don't, I'm not up on my Egyptian history. But like it oh, probably, probably at the time, nobody could figure out how they built that exactly. So now it's like the, the explanation is it came from the future. Okay. Okay. So just, just, to, just to put a fine point on this, we're going to say that because we don't understand how African people in Egypt could build a Sphinx – we're going to say that a technologically advanced white guy built it for them and time traveled it back to their country. It's the same with like the uh, what's that? What's that thing in Europe and in, in England? The uh, uh, Stonehenge. You know how many different yeah. fictional stories have explained that because nobody can figure out or, you know, there's theories on how they did it. But, you know, we don't know how they did it's it. It's like, oh, aliens did it. It's a signaling device. It's a blah, blah, blah. It's a blah, blah. You know, that's just how they probably the Easter that's Island true. heads, too. Well, those are like statues. There's like statues living under the ground in that. Well, um, sure. That's just the, the, top, the, pop, the top part sticking up. Yeah, but it's okay, statues so- of aliens they saw billions of years ago. You know, whatever. Could be. Anyway. Or, or of me. Or of you. No, your head is much um, rounder than that. But anyway. It, it, well, you know, it's, it's, it's artistic representation. Okay. So <laughs> Abstract art. Yeah. <laughs> when, the, uh, when the Fantastic Four are losing their powers in the fight, uh-huh. Susan says... Oh, now it's affecting me. I can feel it. I'm becoming visible. I can't help myself. Mm -hmm. I'm intrigued by the notion that there's a physical sensation Mm -hmm. that goes along with Sue's visibility transformation. Does she mean it that way or does she mean she can feel this, whatever this is, it's sapping their will? Um, Maybe. No. But I didn't get the impression anyone else was feeling anything. You're right. I was thinking they were saying... All they are is losing their powers. It's it's later on that they feel like they have no will, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. They get hypnotized later by the hypnotism gun. I like this entire scene, though. It's very, like, cinematic in the fact that, like, someone off camera is, you know, sapping their strength or blowing out the flame or making his elasticity snap back. And then, like, it even shows her going, no, no, like, there's a monster coming at her, but we don't see who the monster is. And then she passes out. And then, of course, the next panel is not a monster. It's just Ramatut. But still, it was kind of a cool effect. Like, it made us wait another page to find out what's going on. Yeah, it was good. It was Mm -hmm. good. Um, I was curious when I was reading Ramatut's uh, flashback, because he specifies the year 3000. Okay. And I made the the joke in the um, synopsis about the Legion of Superheroes, because the Legion of Superheroes are always dated as being one year, uh, 1,000 years in the future. Okay. So with this story in 1963, oh. the Legion would be in 2963. But, you know, basically the year 3000, because that's a millennium in front of 2000, which is roughly where we are. Right. So this is the Legion's era. Now, then I was thinking, well, what about Zarko the Tomorrow Man? Because he had the exact same problem. I'm glad you looked it up because I was just desperately trying to right now and not having any success. Go ahead. So Z- Zarko the Tomorrow Man is from the 23rd century. Okay. Which is funny because Star Trek doesn't exist yet. 
But Star Trek is a peaceful Earth in the 23rd century when Zark of the Tomorrow Man comes from. Maybe it's been peaceful for a while. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. So, so they're not we have from Star Trek era and the Legion era for these two peaceful future people. Yeah. They're not the same time. Right? They're, they're centuries apart. See, I wonder if like, eh, we'll never know that stuff. But, you know, because like futures are always in these DC universes and Marvel universes are always kind of in flux, I guess. So we can never say like, like uh, one one future leads into another because we don't know. Yeah. And Marvel gets around that by saying that the future is actually the future of another Earth. Oh, so that's sure. how they Why explain not? divergent ti- divergent futures and divergent pasts. Uh-huh. Those are other Earths with those futures and pasts. Um, so that's that's a thing. Yeah. Okay. Now we specifically have a precedent about Ben being changed while under mind control, and that was the puppet master controlling the thing, and he was controlling the thing. Because he had a puppet shaped like the thing. Uh-huh. When the thing turned back into Ben Grimm, he was no longer under the influence because he was no longer the thing. And that made sense to me. That mm-hmm. seemed like an internal logic. This book seems to imply that Ben's mind and the thing's mind are separate and distinct. And I didn't like that, which is why I razzed it up in the synopsis. All right. So I thought the same thing you did, but I'm going to play devil's advocate anyway. Okay. Just because. This ray is a bunch of hokey nonsense, first of all. Anytime <laughs> you're doing like a sapping your will and strength by shooting you with a ray gun from the future, I mean, you kind of have to just shrug and go, well, how does that work? Whatever. It's from the future. I don't know. Right? So then there's two things going on here. One, apparently when the thing gets hot, he turns to Ben Grimm. But they didn't say that. They said when he gets hot from a sun that's far hotter than our 20th century Sun. So they're giving themselves that out, first of all. Now, of course, the, that begs the question, why doesn't Reed like start experimenting with really, really hot stuff? But whatever. They're not going to ever do that. But then, two, is it just the mind that it's affecting? Or is it like this whole sort of physiology? And if it's a physiology which includes the mind, then maybe when he changes to Ben, it's a different physiology. But then you also wonder, when he changes back, how come he instantly goes back to being his slave again like like the ray sort of like hovers around the body and waits for it to work again or something i don't know it doesn't make any sense yeah it really doesn't make any sense but good uh, try though yeah good try nothing (laughs) (laughs) you get you get but like even if he was the hulk and banner say he turned back to banner and now he's not under the hypnosis anymore but when he turns back to hulk why would he still be under it because it's a ray gun it's not like the guy's mind power is just constantly on he got shot Right. I don't know. See, I would buy it with the puppet master. Yeah. That if he went to bed and changed back to the thing, he would once again be under the influence because now the puppet master does still have his thing toy. Yeah. That he's playing with. Well, Loki did it and, to Thor and then said, put your hammer down. And then when he turned to mm-hmm. Donald Blake, he wasn't hypnotized anymore. But do they have the same mind? We've talked about that. I don't think they do I have don't the same know. mind. Yeah. They kind of do, kind of don't. Right. So. Right. I think they have two minds that interact with each other. Yeah. Although, again, that's Loki and magic. So was the magic spell to possess Thor and not Donald Blake? You could argue that, too. Anyway, whatevs. This magic magic gun is science somehow. (laughs) Somehow it works. Obviously, because in the comic it says that it works. Yeah. But I I do like that Ben, the human, goes around kicking butt, though. That's kind of fun. 
Yes, I do like Ben Grimm. For some reason, I associate Ben Grimm man of action with like Jor-El man of action. Uh, it's like, yeah, it's an aspect that we never get to see. Mm-hmm. So when it happens, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, more cool than Jimmy Olsen, Mr. Action. Uh, just just no idea that what there. that means. You're the one who's read uh, all those. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Olsen. Right towards the end oh, of the Jimmy Olsen comic. You mean Supergirl? They called him Guardian? I've been watching that. That's horrible. But anyway, um, Jimmy on that on that second season goes through some questionable. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. In the past, we've talked about how wanting to quote unquote marry someone could be read as a euphemism uh-huh. for other desires. Right. So when it started talking about you know getting Sue to marry Rama Tut. I immediately started reading that aspect of the plot more closely to see if anything untoward was implied in the script. I was very happy to see that the narrative doesn't allow for that. Good. Like they immediately start prepping her for the wedding, but she never like is alone with Ramatut with him wanting to marry her. No. Um, so that's good. I can only imagine like, you know, by, by Egyptian standards, she must be like the most gorgeous thing in the world. I don't know. I mean, because I don't. Um, I don't know how people's, uh, you know, skincare regimen and stuff were back way back when, or, or you know, they were probably all shorter. And I just imagine everybody's uglier than we are now. But I could be totally wrong about that. Well, and standards of beauty are so bizarre. I mean, she's she could be considered beautiful because of her outlandish looks. I mean, like an exotic beauty. But I mean, it's worth mentioning here that all of these people in Egypt should be black. They should uh, all be people of color. Because And none of them are. And none of them are. Europeans with fair skin did not start ruling Egypt until the Greeks came. And that's Alexander the Great. That's that's like the last few centuries of a millennia old kingdom. Are we so are we going to blame Lee and Kirby for these kind of things though? Or is that just like how everybody thought? things were until we start getting smarter and more superior and into like racism and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, um, like did people in 1963 all think that Egyptians were white and therefore like uh, Lee and Kirby are just going with that flow and didn't do any research. And even if they did the research and they put that in this comic, they'd get this huge backlash of like, no, that's not how it was. Or cause all the movies are, you know, Joan Collins is, Okay, see, I, that's what I was going to say is I think right. Th- this is the era of the Cleopatra movie, right? This right, is the of era course. of. That's why we've had two of these now. Right, and that's a whole bunch of white people uh-huh. being Egyptian. Now, I haven't seen the Cleopatra movie. There may be people of color in other parts, or there may be white people that are like grease painted so that they represent people of color. I don't know. Um, but I have a collection of history texts called The Story of Civilization Mm -hmm. by Will Durant that were written in the early 20th century, like from the 1910s to the 1940s, I think is how long it took him to write all of them, maybe 1950s. Um, And the first, it's mostly Western civilization, Western history, European, but the first volume does talk about ancient civilizations and some of the primary, you know, non-European countries like China and Japan. Um, In that book, he does talk about the biracial caste system of Egypt as if it were an always present thing. Okay. And he comes up with explanations for it. So I think we actually had a misconception about Egyptian culture 
up until the last few decades. Yeah, yay internet. You know, we're just all smarter now. And yeah. there's, there's all these memes telling us that Jesus should really be black and stuff, but they didn't think about those things. No, because white Jesus is a, is a centuries, centuries right. old concept. Right. Back when they so, thought the Garden of Eden was in Eastern Europe. So I'm not going to hold that against them because they're just as... And by the way, please don't write in and say it wasn't Joan Collins. It was Elizabeth Taylor. You're right. I just yes. interchange those two for some reason all the time. Anyway. Uh, also note... I don't claim to be an, a scholar on Egyptian history. If anything I say about all of that is incorrect, please feel free to let me know what is actually correct, because I always want to learn and expand my understanding of the world history. But that's what I understand at this point. I'm pretty sure you're not wrong about them not all being Caucasians, but hey. Right, because it's Africa, right? <laughs> what do I know? Um, there are other people speaking English in this besides Ramatut, which I think wouldn't care about except they make a deal about it earlier in the comic. Yeah. You think like they just have at this point written it that like Reed has a universal translator installed on all their belts or something that he hands out to all the other superheroes too. Yeah, I guess. Well, Thor's a God. Tony Stark understood the languages. Oh yeah. Well, he's a bro. He's a genius and Thor's a God. So he understands all languages automatically. Um, I just made that up, but why not? <laughs> why not? Um, okay. I think I'm about out of things to say. There was a weird moment toward the end whenever they're going through the ship. There's a panel on page 20 where the torch says, now that my flames had a few minutes to recharge itself, I still think flying's the best way. And I know that Stan feels like he has to write something there and that's fine, but there was nothing said previously about the torch needing to recharge. Mm -hmm. He was not running low on heat and he had not expressed any need to stop flying. And so the fact that he's making this comment here is weird. I like... um you know, normally I mostly like Reed Richards for the brains, but uh, page 17, that wall he creates to stop all the arrows, because he's enslaved still, mm -hmm. stopping all the arrows from hitting the, the army that he's enslaved to. That was pretty impressive. That is pretty impressive. And um, yeah, the last thing I was going to mention is that on page 21, the second panel, Reed says, I wouldn't... Um, well, Johnny has just said he's gone now. We'll never see him again. Reed says, I wouldn't count on that, Johnny. Remember when he mentioned that an ancestor of his had invented the first time machine? It could have been Dr. Doom. Mm -hmm. And they're going to play with this question. Is he the descendant of Dr. Doom? Uh, more. I take it as read that he is a descendant of Dr. Doom. That There's enough evidence to suggest it that why not? Um, well, what's interesting is the next page, he says the earliest device, meaning the time machine, had one critical fault. And that's how they explain how they don't have the radioactive isotope or whatever anymore oh. but he calls it the earliest device like they were using something else but they were using the same thing they had just used so he just found out that that was the earliest device and now to him that's the earliest device even though in the present it's like the device so i don't he know say he says this earliest device but yeah right. it, it does imply that there are later ones well he just i guess oh as opposed to as opposed to um the time machines that drama tut uses Right, but how does he know that those don't? Well, I guess yeah. How do those don't also, uh, you know, transport radioactivity? Interesting. I just thought it was interesting I, 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 that he labeled he labeled the thing that he's using that's present now and state of the art as now. Now he just calls that you know the early device because apparently there's going to be others and he's just fine with that. I think he was BSing there personally. Mm -hmm. He could have said this time machine doesn't transport radioactivity. Yeah, but whatever. Um. So is that everything on the issue? Other than the whole reason they went back there was to all this whole this whole cure blindness thing, and that was such a quick throwaway. 
Like they're giving his origin, Ramatut's origin, and then there's finally, and then it's just like one panel. Oh, by the way, I also got blind, but then they fix it. Anyway, let's get back to the story. Yeah. It, How did they yeah, fix it? it? Who fixed it? Where'd that come from? It almost feels like the other 90% of the story was was in their minds and that they had to figure out some reason for them to go back. And um, um, did they fix him? Huh? Did the Egyptians fix him? Or did he fix himself? Fix uh, Ramatut? Yeah, his eyes. See, it happened oh. so quickly, we don't even know. They obtained a rare herb. Yeah, they they obtained a rare herb, which affect which uh, affected by the radiation from my damaged machine. Okay, I was going to say, how come if they have a rare herb, we still don't have the cure for blindness? But that's why, because they have it has to mix magically with the radio, radio, radiation from his ship or something. Okay, and that ties in with Reed's weird comment at the end, because Ramatut's time machine used radiation, had radioactive elements, and traveled through time. Uh, but Doom's time machine uh, won't allow radioactivity to travel through time. There we go. Now it's all coming together. I'm not saying it's the smoothest concept or the smoothest writing, but I think it just, if you... It was just like a like a an excuse to go back in time, this whole blind thing. Yeah, it's really all it was. Um, but anyway, how about back to the present? Well, we are going to see Ramatut again um, when we get to the second annual. So that's like a year away. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next issue of this comic will be the Molecule Man. So that's pretty great. Sweet. But now we have our third issue to finish out July. And that is Tales of Suspense 46. And we get another supervillain. Another supervillain. Uh, another with, um, one that reoccurs, I mean. Somewhat. We'll talk about that in a little bit. because Well, his identity reoccurs anyway. Yeah, yeah. The concept of Crimson Dynamo is a recurring idea. Yes. That's a lot this month. We should count at the end how many new villainy we got that are going to reoccur. Anyway, this one's okay. Tales of Suspense number 46. You can count that while I babble on about this story, maybe. Tales of Suspense number 46, which uh, had a cover date of October 63. It's called Iron Man Faces the Crimson Dynamo. And it's written by <gasps> not Stanley at all. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I, I have a plot by Stan Lee, but script by Robert oh, Bernstein. see again, the DC index thing failed me. Okay, I should stop going by it. So plot by Stan Lee, Robert Bernstein, script, artist Don Heck, and letterer Artie Simek, because that is what we really care about. Okay, um, and it starts off in Russia. Well, it starts off with a splash page, but who cares about that? It starts off in Russia and that guy whose name I always forget, who's like a real person leading Khrushchev. Khrushchev, thank you, is visiting their their um, most best scientist, and his name is Professor Vonko. And Khrushchev totally hates Professor Vonko, and Vonko clearly does not like Khrushchev either. There's a lot of tension when they talk. They act like they are they're okay with each other, but yeah, they don't like each other. But he's visiting him because he needs him for something. So Vonko has created. A new weapon to fight against America. And it's an armor that's red and big and looks kind of scary. And and Khrushchev says, you look like a, a human dynamo. And he goes, okay, cool. I'm the Crimson Dynamo. And he's like, well, what can it do? And what it can do is it can control electrical things. So first he shows that he's got like this fake Iron Man that he makes come towards them. And then he presses a button and that Iron Man explodes. So that was impressive. He's like, can you do that to the real guy? Oh, yeah. And then he controls a tank and scares Khrushchev Khrushchev, a little bit just because it's funny because he hates him. And they're like, okay, you know what you need to do? We're going to assign you to not only go destroy American Iron Man – but while you're down there, why don't you ruin that Tony Stark's life, too? 
that other guy who's separate from Iron Man, because he is supplying the U.S. with a lot of the military, or you know, uh, weapons and stuff and technology that they're using to, you know, really damage us over here in Russia. So he says, no problem. And he takes off. And then Khrushchev is thinking like, and then after you come back, I'll just kill you because you're annoying. Anyway, so then they go cut to the United States. And we've got Stark Industries like, they're not, it's not called Stark Industries, is it? I just made that up. Not yet, no. Yeah. Okay, well, Stark's. I don't know if we have a name for Stark it. Incorporated, Stark's business. Anyway, they're going to fly this new, uh, these two guys are like going to fly this new missile or something. And Happy and, and uh, Pepper are there. And Iron Man, or Tony decides to sneak off and become Iron Man just in case there's a problem, which is a good idea because behind the trees is the Crimson Dynamo. And he uses his new awesome control electricity armor to uh, make the thing go off course but iron man's there and he like catches it all superman style and everybody cheers and he's like go but i'm gonna go to all these other places that develop stark stuff and i'm just gonna wreck it so he does that he keeps going to all these places and making things go haywire and explode and blow up and stuff and nobody can figure out what is causing all this to happen including tony he can't figure it out Uh, meanwhile it cuts to washington and they're like deciding that maybe Tony's doing this on purpose. Maybe he's a spy. Maybe he's a communist. Because think about it. If he makes all these contracts with the U.S. and now we're relying on him for all these weapons and then he conveniently, quote unquote, can't fill those orders because of sabotage or something, and then we're messed up. You know, we have our pants around our ankles and stuff. So that'd be like the perfect spy move. So now they're thinking about like pulling all their orders and stuff. And now Stark's life is really getting affected and he's freaking out. And then it finally like comes to a conclusion where the Dynamo is is not just satisfied with breaking parts and breaking factories he wants to confront iron man himself so he figures you know every time tony's in danger iron man shows up so i'm gonna go to his main office and i'm just gonna go lumbering in there as the crimson dynamo and sure enough uh iron man shows up because tony stark sees him coming and puts on his iron man outfit and he's like now just like just like i was demonstrating i'm gonna press this button and iron man's gonna blow up but no, because Tony's smarter than that, and he sees the guy has a button or something, and he kind of puts two and two together that this is the dude who's been making all my electricity blow up. So he kind of like nips that in the bud by like turning on his transistors and creating this energy shield that stops him from being able to control Iron Man or blow him up. And then they kind of get into a fight that's sort of equal, although it looks like Iron Man's winning, but Iron Man says it's kind of an equal fight. But then what he does is he surrounds him with trees. like He throws all these trees around him. And while the Crimson Dynamo is, like, distracted trying to uh, get out of that, he creates a recording and does his best um, Khrushchev uh, impersonation. And then he said, he tells the Crimson Dynamo, hey, look, I tapped into Russia's, like, uh, you know, walkie-talkies or whatever. This is what they're saying about you. And he, he plays this thing and that has, like, seemingly Khrushchev saying how he's going to, like, kill the Crimson Dynamo after he's done with his mission. So then the Dynamo is all upset about that. And Stark is like, hey, you're really smart and you're really cool. Why don't you just defect? I'll give you, I'm sure Stark will give you a job here. You could be like this lead scientist in America. Nobody bothers you or tries to get you down. You could do whatever you want. And he's like, ah, yeah, duh, that sounds really good. So like the end is pretty much like Tony Stark with his, or maybe Iron Man with his arm around his new best friend's shoulder and they're high-fiving each other. And then it cuts back to Russia where they find out that he failed and defected and they like, I don't know, I think Khrushchev is like kicking a cat or something. 
The end. <laughs> I made up the yeah. cat part, but he's like throwing a fit. Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, Crimson Dynamo, yo. I like him. I think he's a very cool design, first of all. I don't, yeah. I don't know if Don Heck designed him, but if he did, good job. Well, I, I, you know, the, the, the word dynamo in this context of an electrical device is not something we really talk about that much anymore. I, um, yeah, I didn't know. Cause like he says, or Khrushchev says, uh, peculiar, you look ridiculous, Vanko, like a human dynamo. And I thought, wait, didn't Marvel just make up the word dynamo? I didn't know dynamo was a thing. So then I had to look it up and I found out it was a, an electrical thing or something. Right. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. And, I mean, do you think it's fair to say that this is our most significant Iron Man villain to date? Um, gosh, by far, right? I mean, has there been anybody else? I went back and was looking. I mean, there are some characters who come back, but I don't think anyone's like an Iron Man villain. Yeah, Cleopatra. No. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this is it. This is like the first. And it's cool because he's like a villain that kind of has the same ideas. You know, it's like an all, a, yeah. a negative version of himself. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And the fact that he actually gets kind of, you know, the story kind of takes a bit of a reversal at the end. They convert Vanko to being, you know, pro-democracy, pro-America, pro-whatever, and not happy with his homeland, which I don't think the ending really landed for me because of just how violent Vanko was opposed to all that stuff earlier in the story. But, you know... Well, as a concept, I think it's cool. He hated his boss. That was pretty clear. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, he's not that patriotic because that's his leader. Um, yeah, and, but that was a thing. I mean, and his, Khrushchev is scared of. I'm sorry. And his leader wanted to kill him back. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, they already set the set the table for this idea that maybe he's not the perfect happy communist. You know, he wasn't like no. Even Radioactive Man was kind of a jerk. Maybe like they just paint all these communists as disloyal jerks. I don't know. Well, I think that was actually part of the fear. Uh, Khrushchev, he's been, at this point, he's been the head of the Communist Party, what they call the first secretary for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, in about a year, he's going to be deposed by co- people who want his job. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's definitely painted as cowardly in this issue, probably unfairly. But the suspicion that people would rise up against him turned out to be well-founded. So, yeah, uh, it, it's... It's kind of interesting. Did, um, does Dynamo say anywhere how much he loves like communism or anything? I don't remember that speech happening. Like, is there any reason? No. Is there any? Well, I could be totally wrong. Maybe he does, and I just don't remember. But is there any reason why he couldn't just be all about apple pie when given the opportunity? No, you you, you definitely could be right. Um, I'm trying to think of. I don't remember because mostly he's just bragging about how great his invention is. The American defense effort will be far weaker without Tony Stark. Um, I don't know. He wants to prove that he's the most powerful man on earth. Yeah. So he's full of himself, but is he full of... He likes his like, tech. Russian... So, I don't know. I could see, like, maybe being compelled to, you know, by this offer of Tony's or Iron Man's to, like, have the freedom to build whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Not that he was... Not that he seemed depressed to not be able to build whatever he wanted since he made this suit, but... No, no, you're right. I think most of his glorying is in his own abilities and his own power, not so much... Down with democracy, down with America. Uh-huh. Um, he does want to return a national hero. Okay, at one point in page nine, he says, uh, I'll head straight for the plant and challenge Iron Man. If I defeat him, I'll return home a national hero, powerful enough to replace even the leader himself. Ah. Uh, um, but that just may be... That's not very communist egotism. either. Yeah. Egotism. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. So, uh, yeah, okay, I can see that it might not be quite as... 
Um, but you're right. I mean, it was really fast. And also, yeah. it was kind of silly how he did like a Khrushchev impersonation and then just got away with it somehow. <laughs> like it, it, I watched an episode of MASH today uh, where Hawkeye did the exact same thing. Uh, he pretended to be a general in order to, on, on the phone in order to get Houlihan to do something for him. It might have been cooler if he actually tapped into actual conversation because there is conversation where he wants to kill Crimson Dynamo. But yeah, that would have been a bit far-fetched true. that he could do that. So, um, real quick before we go to the rest of the comic, I want to just uh, describe the MCU connections here because um, this is one of our first, you know, major villains that has Marvel Cinematic Universe connections. Um, in Iron Man Two, Anton Vonko was a coworker of Howard Stark, and his son Ivan Vonko is Whiplash in that film. Uh huh. And certainly, the design of Whiplash in that film has some Crimson Dynamo elements thrown in. With the electrical abilities and the fact that it's all like, I mean, Whiplash in the comics is a dude with whips. And this guy has like charged powered weapons. Right. Um, Based on Tony's, Tony's, uh, whatever that thing's called. Right. Um, So um, it's a little bit of a blend of the Dynamo and the Whiplash concepts now. And and in the end of that movie, and in the end of that movie, he's in full armor. Oh, that's right. He is. So, okay. He's kind of two characters, I guess. Yeah, he's a blend of two characters. Um, around the time that that movie was coming out, the comics did make another Whiplash, who is also named Anton Vonko, just like this guy, Crimson Dynamo, here. Mm. But they're not related. They uh, qu- totally coincidentally have the same name. Um, and maybe it's, I think they're just. Maybe it's common in Russia. Maybe. I don't maybe. know. So, yeah, some of our f- biggest MCU connections besides, you know, just using the heroes. Mm hmm. Hey, um, Mike. Yeah. Why do communists never hurry? I don't know. Because instead of Russian, they'd rather be Stalin. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. So, um, this is another commie bastard story. Um, yeah, but these are cooler a little bit. It was definitely a cooler story. Because you get actual powers and, you know, super villainy versus just commie bastards, I guess. Right. I like that he has armor like Iron Man, except that his armor isn't like Iron Man. His armor is different. It controls electrical things. It can blow electricity things up. I don't think it can fly. Um, so it's like, yeah, he's an armor guy versus an armor guy, but they, they bring different things to the table. That was kind of neat. Vonko never says the word transistors about his own armor. It's all electrical <laughs> stuff. Right. Um, when Tony gets out his armor on page six, uh-huh. he, he describes it as being collapsible and extensible. So I get like like um what do you call it? like telescopic feel whenever something like like slides into itself. Uh-huh. I feel like some of that's going on. Later, because I'm reading Iron Man that's like a couple years out, he starts frequently describing it as flexible armor. I feel like he has before this too. So like they're changing it now? Because you know, previous panels it looked like he was straight up just putting pants on or something. Yeah. Or folding them to put them back in his briefcase. And now like if you say collapsible, that kind of works because some of the lines on his arms are, you know, they look like they could collapse maybe. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, maybe that's a better way to describe it. But I still think, like, these suit-ups are, like, just the worst. I, I just wish that the parts had more, like, rigidity to them when he's not wearing them. Yeah. The idea that they look like clothes bothers me. Right. Or feel like clothes. So, How does that even work? Like, they just get, I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. I guess if he turns it on, it's, it goes rigid. I don't mm. know. 
Okay, we do meet a kind of important character in this. Right. The senator, the white-haired senator that's like, ah. well, if Tony Stark's you know, factories are no longer working after we depend on him so much, maybe he's a communist. Mm-hmm. That is Senator Byrd. Okay. And he is going to be a recurring antagonist throughout the suspense run. Okay. I like this he, bit. Yeah. I think that it kind of expands Tony's world and kind of the stakes that he has in it. Uh-huh. And it, um, and it made it so that it wasn't just Iron Man sweating. It was Tony and right. Tony and Tony's livelihood and the livelihood of his friends slash employees. Right. Cause I think the idea of all of Tony's plants being attacked and taken down is something we're going to see quite a bit of. Uh-huh. Um, he's a, he needs it, to put transistor shields on those things. Right. <laughs> um, but in this particular issue, bird kind of comes off as being a J Jonah Jameson. Yeah. He's just look, looking for a reason to blame stuff on Stark with no actual information to back it up. He's just kicking a kicking a man while he's already down. All right. Um, there's not a lot with Pepper and Happy this issue, except that they stand with, you know, they give some solidarity when Stark is looking bad, which is nice of them. Mm-hmm. But they don't that do was a, a whole lot That else. was a cool scene. Yeah. In fact, that, like, this little subplot of, like, the military pulling all its things, like, I feel like in the 80s, this would have been three or four issues of that versus yeah they would have like let him sweat underneath that yeah and that would have been fun versus like you know these early issues they have to wrap everything up by the end um speaking of wrapping things up by the end i don't really have a whole lot else on this issue um i like the fight a lot i like when uh you know tony has to use brains to win um well i don't know if he uses brains but he outsmarted his tech with his own tech so that's cool um but yeah otherwise i don't know that i have a lot to say either yeah, they really tear apart some trees in that fight. So did you want to talk about subsequent Crimson Dynamos? Okay, so um, I don't know. Well, we don't have to. Because it kind of be, it, it be spoiling the near future. Okay. Which I'm not sure how much I want to do that, especially since you haven't read them. But, but, um, but I know he's a guy who's had multiple people in the suit, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to go through several Crimson Dynamos. Um, Anton Vonko is not the Crimson Dynamo forever. Um, but how that happens and when that happens, I think we'll leave as a mystery for now. Crimson um, Dynamo and Red Guardian. They kind of just always have a new person. <laughs> Every yeah, time they I show actually, up. <laughs> I don't have enough reading history in my belt to know of any other Red Guardians besides the one in that one Avengers, like the Silver Age Red Guardian Avengers story. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think, uh, that, I think there's uh, multiple Black ones. Husband. Just like multiple caps and multiple blah, blah, blahs. Yeah. Right. So this particular story was back to 13 pages this month. It was longer last month and it will be longer again next month. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to become an 18 page book for a while starting next month. Okay. And that wraps up and, the month. Uh, that wraps up the month and we are over <sighs> the one hour mark. Awesome. So I think it's time to talk about our top and bottom picks. This is going to be a tough month, man. There are 10 comics to choose from, dude. We have gone from six at the maximum to 10 this month. And now, I guess there were there were seven last month because of the Strange Tales Annual. And no real horrible ones either. No, no. Um, oh, yes, well, there was. Thor, yes, there was. Thor, yeah. Okay, so he's my bottom. That's easy. All right. Journey to Mystery 96. My, my spreadsheet here. So Thor is the worst. Thor versus Mad Merlin was not great. No. Um... But we've read next month's Thor, and we can be excited to move on to better things. I would say also in the bottom-ish are probably Strange Tales, although I thought that was much better than Thor. Um, yeah. And, you know, Amazing Spider-Man, I hate to throw him down there because he doesn't deserve that. But what we've been reading before this issue, this was kind of a letdown. Mm-hmm. Kind of a letdown. 
Not. I will agree with you. It is not one of my top contenders. Yeah. Okay. So top contenders are obviously Avengers one, X Men one. Uh, oh, Fantastic Four annual wasn't so bad either. Yeah, I think the Fantastic Four monthly and the Fantastic Four annual, the Avengers and the X Men. Those are like the top echelon this month. See, I'm torn because like Avengers are my favorite characters. So in that sense, I love that number one came out, but I don't feel like it was the best team story. You know. Right. There was a lot of them all doing their own things and fighting amongst each other and stuff. So I don't know. Oh, man. Maybe you go first because I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't want to influence you. Uh, I wrote mine down. So okay. you, whatever you choose is not going to change my mind. All right. Um, man. I'm going to go with – I'll go with X-Men number one, I think. X-Men number one. Because okay. that was the more cohesive team book. Uh huh. And you know that's also a very big deal for for the Marvel Universe introducing the mutants. And there's Magneto in it. And yeah, I don't know. That choice didn't make me happy, but I think it's a logical one. I don't know. Yeah, X Men <laughs> number one. Okay, so um, you know, like you said, Thor is definitely the bottom pick mm-hmm. this month. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yeah. Strange Tales was half decent. Um, we had the porcupine over with Ant-Man. Yep. We had the plant man over in Strange Tales. We had the Crimson Dynamo over at Iron Man. Um, Sergeant Fury, I feel like, is one of those books that just comes in at a solid middle uh-huh. um, every month. Although it did have Reed Richards so, in it. Yeah. But, which is kind of cool. still, yeah. That's never going to win. Um, and yeah, I, Amazing Spider-Man, it had some stuff that I liked. But it was not as like flat out blow me away as the last couple issues had been. So um, I was also torn between the two Fantastic Four books and the X-Men book and the Avengers book. Um, And of those three, four, the one that I thought had the most that I liked and the fewest problems was also the X-Men number one. Okay. Because the Avengers, um, I liked that it wasn't a team book. I liked that they were coming together, but I felt there were some storytelling issues, especially towards the end. They were small, but they were there. But the X-Men story, I feel like the X-Men story works. Mm-hmm. There's not a problem with the X-Men story. It, it's 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 the best of the bunch. Um, and the two Fantastic Four stories, they were also solid, but there were, just, there were a few things here and there that I was kind of eh on. Um, so yeah, X-Men number one for both of us and Thor number uh, whatever for both of us. That's interesting. I thought about picking annual number one, but then as I tried to sit here and think about what happened, I couldn't quite remember. So I guess it didn't really stick with me that hard. I mean, yeah, it was the Namor invasion. Yeah, I remembered that part, but like, I couldn't think of any particular details that made me happy, other than the art was fantastic. Yeah. Um, also, I kind of feel like this might be the last time I vote for the X Men for quite a while. I have a feeling because mm-hmm. you know, once Magneto's, they got him over with. Now, what's it going to be? The Toad or something? Who cares? So, <laughs> so Aven- Aven- well, after- Avengers will get better and better, and I bet the X Men will pretty much stay the same for a while. I had a similar thought. Um, Silver Age X Men is kooky sometimes more than it's fun. Mm-hmm. So uh, it might not get a lot of votes from us on this particular show. Although I love the X-Men as a concept. I do have a, a fondness for the Silver Age uh, run, but um, there will be better comics. Yeah. So, um, all right. That puts us seven months into the year. And um, we've done our top and bottom picks. So I think we should do some thank yous. So while I'm getting some uh, thank yous up, how can they how can they find us, Mike? Where are we? Um, well, if you go to makearsmarvel.com, we're there. 
there's an RSS feed link. There's iTunes. There's Google Play. You'll find show notes that have a bunch of pictures. Um, there's a contact form, so you could write us, and we'll maybe we will read your letter in our next mailbag if you write us uh, about the show, of course, not about your own personal problems. Or you could also just write us directly podcast at makearsmarvel.com you can also review us on itunes if you're nice enough to do so um and i'm not sure where else oh facebook you can review us you can find us on facebook and twitter also through our website yeah lots of places get on out there throw us some love because we like reading it that's our only form of payment all right yeah yeah we don't get paid to do this it'd be cool if we got paid Mm -hmm. we don't get paid i'm gonna i'm gonna put up a, a paypal donation button and we'll get two dollars a month yeah, there's the whole Patreon thing, oh, and yeah. I'm always kind of scared about Patreon because yeah, I don't really fully understand how that works. Well, it's just like the good old days back when people had, um, you know, patrons. So we did get a like on Facebook from Ashley Sparks. Um, he liked us on the Facebook. It seems to be the only person who's done a new like in the last week. We don't get as many Facebook likes, though. No, I think we're more Twitter. Yeah. Which I'm fine with because, um, you know... Facebook just made it so that Twitter can't cross post. So now I'm not even going to be on Facebook hardly ever. Yeah, that's a thing that happened. Mm-hmm. So we have gotten a lot of Twitter follows in the last week. So some thank yous uh, for your support of the show go out to Avengers Historian, um, which is at Chris J. Russ. Uh, comic Book Dude 85, uh, who is at I am Luke 85. There's a guy named Michael Burnt. He's the owner of Mono Vos. And I make future-friendly designs for websites, prints, and identities. And yes, you really should hire me. He, he liked us or followed us on, on Twitter. <laughs> There's a, a Twitter ID called Thor's Mallet. All right. Thor underscore Mallet. So we are being followed by Mjolnir himself. Sweet. Um, I don't know how the Uru affects the functioning of the laptop when I be on Twitter. But, you know, that's not for me to question. We have a guy who is John KC. Uh, he has not been on Twitter for very long. He just joined Twitter. So that's interesting. Um, but thank you for the follow, John. Hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, Rusty Shackelford. And uh, finally, a podcast called Amazing Spider Talk. Uh, this is hosted by Dan Gvozden, who started a podcast back when Superior Spider-Man started. And he was podcasting through the Superior Spider-Man issues. And at the time, it was Superior Spider Talk. And then whenever, you know. He became inferior. <laughs> yeah, went from superior to being just amazing. Oh. Uh, the podcast kept on going, and so they changed their name to The Amazing Spider Talk, but it is still at SUP for superior, SUP Spider Talk uh, on Twitter. So that's a podcast you can go check out. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much for following us on Twitter. As always, please do uh, support the show by retweeting uh, new episodes and uh, sharing posts of new episodes whether you're on Twitter or Facebook, that is um, one of the best ways you can get other people in your circles to know about our show. And we really, really appreciate it. And um, before I go out, just a little reminder that I have another show going on called All the Pouches, an image comics podcast at johnreadscomics.com. Also on Twitter at All the Pouches. So until the writers decide that Rama Tut was inspired to time travel by Reed Richards' dad, make ours marvel. Marvel.